everyone, and welcome back to another Stogie Lads podcast. How are you doing, lad? Uh, great, great, lad. Today was the first semblance of spring, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I had a cigar outside on the balcony in only this Stogie Lads hoodie, no jacket or anything needed, and it was nice. Hot, the no wind, and uh, the sun. You know, now we're like in March where the sun actually warms you up. So if there's no wind, the sun is enough for it to feel like summer. So. Yeah, spirits are obviously high when you can get a a cigar in uh, in good conditions. How about you, Laddie? No, it's been good. We've had uh, we've had spring down here for a while. It feels like. I mean, I, I know Stockholm has been uh, has been cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lund has been pretty good. We've had been blessed with the weather for like a week, and uh, in that time, I did actually have a um, a cigar as well oh, um, yeah, right. last week. Um, so. Um, so yeah, that was nice to get out into the sun, into the, just take a walk in the park, sit down in the sun and have a smoke. That was what nice. What did you have, lad? Um, I had... Mundo, right? Yes, yeah, I <laughs> I just blanked. It was like, it was a morning cigar and I, yeah, it was El Rey del Mundo. Um, nice. I just, it was, yeah, I brought it to the herf uh, that we were at in the, in Stockholm and didn't oh, smoke it there. Nice. Right, 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 right. So it was pretty much next on my list so um so yeah i decided for that one nice nice yeah we'll get to the cigar i smoked later because that has something to do with the with the podcast yeah. topic today um but yeah it's good it's 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 this weird period now where like the lake is still frozen and there's still snow around but it was like it's it's a weird feeling when there's snow and ice everywhere but you're like sitting in a in like light yeah and it's spring light hoodie yeah and in, in spring yeah, we we're finally doing a back-to-back podcast here with just us lot. It feels mm-hmm. like a year ago when we're <laughs> we're doing this schedule-wise. The so beginning of exactly. Yeah, I don't know if there's more updates cuz I mean what's happened? I I, I speaking of herfs, I went I did a herf at the at the Stockholm uh, cigar lounge. I didn't t- tell you about that. Oh right. The one Yeah, I saw that. It's in a suburb, a southern suburb called El Khair. Um and they have like a big uh, big house, a part of a big big office building kind of place. And it's a private club, um, and it's super cool. Uh, you can come as a guest, and um, yeah, like a classic lounge feel. You know, there's like black f- uh, leather furniture everywhere. It's like a real mm-hmm. big lounge. Nice, uh, free to take. You know, you can buy beers and stuff at the place, and it's just uh, it was really nice. I had three cigars though. I did yeah. want to say in this podcast that was the first time in like my five years of smoking cigars that I actually got a little cigar sickness. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I was sitting next to Manny, my friend, or our friend, <laughs> and uh, yeah. another guy that invited us there, another Dominican guy. And you know the air, air, the air freshener machines that you have in like lounges. Mm. That was behind me to the right of me, and Manny was to the left of me. So all his smoke was sort of getting slowly sucked, oh, and it went by right. me. And I was getting all my own smoke and his. And I think it just there was just too much smoke in the air around me. Uh, because after that, on the way home in the car, I was like feeling really nauseous, <laughs> damn. Uh, and I was like, "Damn, am I carsick?" But then when I, because I never get carsick, <laughs> and uh, then yeah. when I went home and laid down, like I felt really woozy and like pretty sick. So all right, yeah, no, because I remember experiencing that after the first turf we had at Charles, because that the day oh, after, because yeah? then we smoked three cigars, but that mm, was mm. that was outside, so it wasn't the constant layer of smoke, but uh, I think it was just like three pretty heavy smokes yeah, uh, yeah. i don't remember exactly what we had but um 
But yeah, I remember feeling the next day at least, or maybe it was because we were outside as well that it was part of that. Because we had a Gurkha lot. The Gurkha poisoned you. Yeah. Oh yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I guess it's very circumstantial. It's but it was unpleasant, and um, I think we have pretty good nicotine uh, tolerance, which is good because I would hate for that feeling to come more often. I mean, that's literally the first time. So, Mm -hmm. but I can't imagine like pretty unpleasant. Yeah, it'd suck. Uh, we have a pretty heavy topic today uh, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, length, I think. So we, we shouldn't be chit-chatting too much, Lad. I guess l- let's just do the <laughs> what's in your glass. I want to hear, as per usual, what is in your glass today, Lad? Uh, well, I did um, recently on my last trip to uh, Sustembalayet, the place where you buy alcohol, buy mm-hmm. a, uh, a bottle of Campari. Uh, so I... I'm making the grand return of the Negroni on this show now. Good luck. It was a while ago, but um, I haven't had a Campari like bottle in my um, yeah in my shelf for a long time. Mm. I've just had the Martini and the gin, so I felt like you needed to pick that up. Nice, good. Uh, good so stuff. yeah, just a nice Negroni here in my glass. Looks How like a you? good pour as well, lad. Uh, I'm also actually going back to something. <laughs> I can't remember now what I haven't. And ha- I know I have a bunch of whiskey now. Uh, but I'm having the Glenfiddich 15-year-old, um, the Solera oh, cask. I know I've had this on the podcast because I remember talking about the fact that they, you know, they pour, they never completely empty the barrels, you know, that's that thing uh, in this yeah, whiskey. Yeah. So I know I've had it. I, I just, I need to, I need to at some point listen back and just like keep notes on what I've had and haven't had because there are some bottles that I haven't had on the podcast yet that I haven't finished. But it's earlier in the evening here. We're not recording as late as usual. So this whiskey mm-hmm. is like very a light space side um, and it fits. And I had a pretty light cigar today as well. So my palate isn't isn't too too warmed up yet. So this is a good one. So cheers, lad. Nice. Cheers. Mm. I also did want to just add a, um, a little note now that we're talking or because I poured in the groanies, uh, mm. that I'll I haven't told you this even, but I'm going to meet my friend from Canada in um in uh, the Alps to ski and then I'm okay. having one day one night in Milan before I go back wow. to Good to Lund so I'm going to go to um to the Bar Basso in um mm. in Milan which is like the Negroni bar Damn. I mean Campari is from Milano so uh so yeah I'm going to go on a little uh Campari soul <laughs> searching <laughs> trip in Milan for one night Good uh, just sitting wow. in the by the piazza there and uh, and drinking negronis I think and smoking cigars I hope if you're of outdoors <laughs> damn that that sounds amazing i remember you were talking about maybe doing a trip to somewhere so that's really cool yeah. that, it's, that it's happening damn i'm jealous i'm jealous yeah that'd be nice all right lad well uh let's uh, before you travel to to italy let's 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 travel mm-hmm. to a couple of locations in this podcast very nice um uh, as a master of the transition i am um <laughs> we often talk about different regions uh of the world that produce cigars and there's a big there's a big sort of misconception because people talk about where is the cigar from and i think this stems for from the fact that cigars used to be cuban so you and cuban cigars have always been puros so people have always been able to say oh this is a cuban cigar mm-hmm. and back in the day like i'm talking late 1800s here it would be a cuban cigar or it would be like an american cigar where that would be like the lower quality stuff but obviously since the cuban embargo a lot of cigars aren't puros anymore Mm-hmm. And we focus on where the cigar is made. Often on websites that sell cigars, you can click, you know, Dominican cigars, Nicaraguan cigars, and those are, and sometimes Honduran cigars. And those are the locations that you get. But it's very, it's a misnomer because the fact of the matter is 
very few cigars are puros. I mean, there's a couple Nicaraguan puros and some Dominican puros, but very few cigars are actually 100% from one place. So just because a cigar is assembled somewhere doesn't really mean it's from there. So we wanted to talk about two regions that produce wrapper tobacco today that make together like a, a big percentage of the world's wrapper tobacco. And you guys that are listening have with 100% certainty smoked a cigar with at least the wrapper from one of these countries, probably mm-hmm. both. Um, and just to end this monologue, I just wanted to say, I mean, there are many ways you can heighten this experience of smoking a cigar. Obviously, we get that question a lot uh, on Instagram and everywhere. You know, the setting of where you smoke the cigar is, of course, important. The company that you're keeping when you're smoking the cigar and the pairings, obviously, that changes and heightens the mood. But uh, for me, as you guys know, with all the history videos and podcasts that we do, one thing that really adds the experience personally is the knowledge and the true history, the story and work that goes behind the tobacco in the cigar that we're smoking. So without further ado, we're going to dive into Cameroon and Ecuador today and talk about the rich history, because there's a lot of history behind these two countries that produce some Mm -hmm. of the best class tobacco in the world. And Ruben, you're going to talk about Cameroon to start us off here with uh, that incredible story behind the tobacco there. Absolutely. Uh, So as you said, the first location, Cameroon, or actually the border between Cameroon and um, the uh, Central African Republic. Uh, because the Cameroon, or uh, as it's called also the Central African uh, tobacco, it is a very rare leaf, um, very rare in the sense that it is very difficult to acquire, mm. uh, and that for its like time since the 90s has only prided a few cigars as the featured wrapper on them, Um it has an amazing story, and today there is really only one name that is rightly associated mm. with it, and that is, of course, Mirapfel. Uh, because it, you guys might it, recognize, I just wanted to interject quickly. You guys yeah. might recognize it. I don't know if you're going to say it, but obviously we were on the Meet the Professor show with uh, Carlito Fuente, and one of the the most stylish men on there was uh, <laughs> yes. Jeremiah Mirapfel, who's exactly. uh, the head of the family now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Jeremiah, he's, uh, I mean, just to have spoken with him personally, and then to have gone into this story and read about everything that his mm. father and uh, yeah, his father before that also uh, did for the cigar community is, is really cool. And just how it's so close in, um, in time and everything. It's crazy. Mm. Uh, yeah, with that being said, like if it weren't for uh, Rick, uh, Josh and Jeremiah, uh, Josh being Jeremiah's brother, um, then it really uh, Cameroon tobacco wouldn't exist, mm. uh, and uh, and blends like you know the Don Carlos or the Hemingway lines yeah. of Arturo Fuente. They would have to you know find a different rapper, and I'm not so sure Carlito or Jose Blanco would be very happy with that because <laughs> I mean they are big preachers of um, of Cameroon tobacco or yeah. yeah Cameroon wrapper tobacco. Yeah, there you immediately get two examples of really popular cigars. I'm sure a lot of people listening here have smoked the Don Carlos uh, mm-hmm. and probably haven't realized maybe a lot of the people that Cameroon refers to the actual place where it's grown. So yeah, lot. go go ahead, go back to the story. How, how did Cameroon come to be and what's the Absolutely. Uh, so, okay, so the first, um, the first initial 
like sequence was in the beginning of the 1900s when uh, you know the dutch settlers brought a sumatra seed uh to this region and uh, and planted uh, planted that so that's an an example where you know we talk about a seed from a different place being grown somewhere else right and that's Uh, an indonesian seed exactly that's what sumatra references indonesian sumatra good Mm -hmm. good clarification um but it was so the beginning of the 1900s wasn't that significant, but it was just the origin. Uh, but it was up around like the late 1950s uh, where the first marks of the Cameroon wrapper tobacco on the premium mm. cigar market was found. Uh, and although I mentioned Merfeld, this wasn't uh, his time or their time to enter the stage, really, mm. uh, because in the late 1950s, uh, France was... Um, yeah, they had colonized the Central African Republic. Right. Uh, so, you know, it was their best interest and, um, you know, to, to control the, the monopoly they had there mm-hmm. uh, through their French tobacco monopoly called CETA, right. uh, which uh, side note merged with Spanish tabacalera to form Altadis and so on. There's a story mm-hmm. there as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you know, uh, many African nations were colonies um during this time still in the late 1950s and um and the central african republic was just undergoing and i say this in air quotes independence uh, Mm. there because you know many many countries in africa were gaining independence but i mean i guess you can say it was just a different type of colonialism uh because well of course the european countries wanted to keep their grip on all the natural resources you know they wanted to control they wanted to control the land that they had had uh, colonialized all these years. I, I wonder, um, I really like, one question that comes up that yeah. we're not going to be able to answer here, but I'm just curious about, I, like, it would be cool to find an answer at some point, but I wonder how Cameroon and the Central African Republic came to be. Like, I wonder if the French just didn't really have a use for those colonies and they thought they could grow tobacco there or if mm-hmm. the soil was truly perfect. Because this is a question that I've had long, before, where I, and I've tried to ask Jose Blanco in, in our interview with him, you know, are there more countries that are like, is this happenstance? Because I mean, if you can grow tobacco in the in Cameroon and the Central African Republic, which is on the other side of the world of the Caribbean, there must be mm-hmm. more places, right? So I'm just wondering, yeah, I would true. love to find out how those two countries came to be, if it is the true soil there, or if it's more happenstance. Yeah, that is true. Because um when reading this, they did send like a, a an actual tobacco expert there. So they, mm. they did mm. send a brains okay. there to to kind of, you know, check the lands that they were good. Um, but it might have also been like happenstance that they um, that this was where they could find good tobacco and want right, to get in right on the now. scene. Um, mm. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, the initial tobacco was harvested and sold by uh, what I mentioned, the French tobacco monopoly. Um, and, um, and yeah, they set up a business there and what they did was they, they sold this tobacco with really unique and questionable methods. Mm. Um, because what they did was they didn't traditionally, they didn't sell it traditionally like others would, where they would let, uh, you know, developers come and check out the tobacco, feel it Mm. and all that. All they would do was send samples to Paris where they sold tobacco bales through silent bidding where the bales weren't even present right so so the bales were like in a completely different place so the mm. <laughs> the, the people who bought it couldn't couldn't really feel what they were buying they only got the sample yeah, it goes against the whole premium cigar thing where it's 
it's just very much money oriented, right? And it's not it's not as artistic if you can't check out every every bale. That's true. No, it's exactly. Yeah. And this was during a period that it was, of course, very interesting to buy tobacco from an African country because it hadn't really been done before. So mm -hmm. they were really exploiting this kind of hype and this interest to this newly made popular tobacco, which obviously drove prices up a lot through silent bidding. And, uh, and since they didn't show the tobacco they were actually selling, they kept the best tobacco for themselves to put into their own cigars mm, that they were mm, manufacturing. Mm, right. um, so kind of these cheap tricks and methods, you know, they, they seldom go unnoticed and uh, seldom survive. So this one, of course, also came crashing down and, uh, and kind of, you know, bit itself in the back. Um, yeah, it's classic colonial methods, right? I mean, it's just maximizing, the, it's sort of squeezing the rag dry of every single drop, right? Like trying to exactly. take advantage of it in every single way. It's it, it kind of is painful to hear the story like this. Yeah. Because, I mean, they had no intention of actually doing it right. They no. have probably very little knowledge of premium cigars, right? Like they just want to yeah, maximize the profit. So that's that's a big shame. That's a big shame. It's not surprising that it came crashing down. No, definitely. Because... I mean, why wouldn't it come crashing down? You know, you had this uncertainty of if you were even getting good tobacco and you also had rising prices that didn't match the quality that they <laughs> thought it was. So it naturally enough came to the ground, just, you know, leaving a few consistent bitters. Um, and, you know, eventually they faced also with, with less money into it, they faced uh, smaller crops and worse quality and um, just the operations kind of just ceased to exist over one night. And suddenly in 1993, you know, they just put locks on the door and it was game over for them. Uh, yeah. Another thing I thought was kind of fun interesting is the fact that uh, when reading about this, a lot of the tobacco that came from Cameron was used in like some machine-made stuff. And for, for yeah, Europe, yeah. like Henry Winterman's and stuff that's still around. Exactly. So it's also extra, I mean, I think, it's that's doubly interesting because first and foremost these european machine made cigar makers are probably just wanting to find tobacco that's usable so the fact that they would stick around for so long and like go through this trouble is a little bit strange i guess maybe mm -hmm. it was still more convenient to buy tobacco from france because if you're making german machine made cigars that's a closer purchase than flying yeah. it over from yeah, the states yeah. or something exactly but i mean it's kind of crazy that you're going through this enormous difficulty producing as we'll probably hear more from how d tough yeah, it is yeah. to produce there to but also just the selling thing to make these crappy machine-made cigars that obviously were selling big back in those days but still kind of kind of a crazy thing and also not surprising then if they find a solid alternative that they would turn their back on the french because it's just a lot of hassle for very yeah. little reward right no exactly yeah so i mean at this point we're in now 1993 they had mm -hmm. been kind of phasing this out. They had lost, you know, consistent uh, customers. And um, I guess really no one knew what the future of uh, Central African tobacco would look like at this point because it was very uncertain. They just shut down operations overnight. Um, mm -hmm. No one knew what it would look like except for maybe one man and uh, a name that has, you know, r rose into prominence today. Right. Uh, any guesses who this could be? <laughs> I would guess it's the Marapfels, right? But yes. <laughs> it, they, they did work with, so this is something, I mean, you, you read a little bit more now, but they did work with African tobacco before. I mean, obviously they couldn't grow it because the French had it, but they did have a foot in the door in some ways, right? They did, exactly, because they were, they had been uh, purchasers of uh, of 
African tobacco for a long time and was one of the only remaining customers left in uh, Mm. in of the of uh, the French uh, part Uh, so they um, they had been purchased of that and they had also this long long uh, family business within tobacco you know Mm. dating over I think it's 146 years this year or something like that the family business so I mean they'd definitely been in the scene of tobacco uh yeah so that being said now it was time for rick merfeld to enter the spotlight of the stage because like i said if even if he had played a role in the previous act mm. uh the next one was sure to be you know marked by him really mm. um so so yeah he had been a purchaser and uh now that the fate of the french uh had like met its maker in central africa he was in a position to take over operations Mm. Uh, because as he had been a regular you know in the region uh, a lot of central africans came to uh, came to him to kind of persuade him to take over these operations because um you know the the absence of tobacco cultivation in this area would leave many people jobless so of course they wanted to continue uh cultivating tobacco because it meant a lot of jobs and uh, yeah he was Obviously, no stranger to the region, no stranger to tobacco. And, um, you know, it was really thanks to uh, to his efforts during this very uncertain period that we even have Cameroon tobacco today. Because if no one would have stepped in, uh, this would have most likely just been, an, been a colonial effort that, you know, where, where Cameroon tobacco's name also had been driven down to the bottom so mm. that it couldn't be resurrected. Yeah. Because at this time, Cameron Tobacco wasn't, you know, that it wasn't performing that well. They had met yeah, these difficulties. Gutsy call. I mean, it, it is like if you just line up what we've just discussed, it's a gutsy move because, I mean, yeah. it's clearly kind of tough to grow. It, ha- it doesn't have a good reputation. Like you said, it's been like sold in really poor ways before. And it hasn't really been used in extremely premium cigars, right? So it doesn't yeah. really, pe- I guess people probably wouldn't have seen a, a big potential in it, right? So like, mm-hmm. you you really need a very special kind of person to to actually make the move to to do this and i guess the merapfel family and uh, rick was that kind of guy who was just you know a visionary enough to step in it's kind of inspiring to be honest yeah absolutely and i mean the the story gets even more inspiring because um like we teased earlier the the land around this area this region is so extremely difficult to to access mm. uh, so to be able to you know come into the, this region and decide you know I'm gonna take this step to resurrect this tobacco mm. and um, and you you can't really undermine the the amount of efforts that were that was put into this yeah we need to um, paint the picture of how I mean because you may I think a lot of people listening and, and I, I think myself included before he, really understanding this story you know you think of the a lot of these developing nations like Nicaragua. I mean, Nicaragua has been a very developing nation. They they've had a lot of political turmoil, and mm-hmm. you you sort of equate a lot of these po- developing nations. But the fact of the matter is, the political and infrastructure situation in these these parts of the Cameroon and the Central African Republic is nowhere close. Like if you guys listen to our Arturo Fuente podcast, you heard that there were 
like, the difficulties were bad in Nicaragua, yeah. right? There were there were overthrowing of the government, there were fires, but that's really the extent of it. Other than that, they had functioning roads, at least, in these countries. Yeah. And they had, I mean, in general, sort of a functioning political system. Other than that, I mean, this is nowhere close. This is a whole other world, even. Exactly. Because, I mean, to get to... Because this isn't even uh, close to... I mean, where we are right now, I encourage you to look at a map if you're not so certain of this area it's mm-hmm. i mean it's so far away from uh, from the capital of cameroon yonde mm-hmm. and because uh, it's really along the border between cameroon and the like central african republic yeah um so to even get there you have to you know drive with a pickup truck like a four-wheel <laughs> drive along these bumpy ass roads um well, I mean, first you have to, if you want to go there, you have to make like a nine-hour flight to uh, to the capital, and then mm. from there it's like a twelve-hour uh, ride, and it's not a freeway <laughs> drive; it's you know just yeah. bumpiness, you know, going along. Because there, yeah, there's really no roads there at all, um, and you know, on top of this, yeah. the region is also located perfectly, you know, in one of the most corrupt and dangerous mm. regions of Africa. Mm. Um, where you know police will, they will not let you pass unless uh, unless you bribe them, and then you know they just put up roadblocks. And um, yeah, I read the story on the Cigar Aficionado magazine where the the journalist is. You can tell, like you can th- these journalists like Gregory Montola and like I mean they've they've been around the world, so they're not they're no strangers to wilderness in terms of like I mentioned, I mean Honduras and Nicaragua, but mm-hmm. even he was scared for his life. Like he said he almost had to change his underwear because I mean in this part yeah. of Africa he and, and this is just one ride. Like he's just gone there this one time and he managed to experience a police officer coming up with an AK-47 to the window and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, basically threatening their lives. They had to pay $20, $30 bribes along the way, like you said. And, I mean, yeah. it's, it's striking how th- – and this is just on one car ride. I mean, it, it basically appears as if it's this way every single time. It's mind-blowing. No, exactly. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, that was just to get to the, to, like, the main part of the, the tobacco cultivation, but – even yeah. to move along the different plants. I mean, you're in the rainforest, like jungle, pretty much. So, so um, yeah, just to get to the different parts where they had the farms, it could take several hours. Yeah, at that point, the to... car seems like a luxury because they have to hike, yeah. right? Yeah, they had to hike, and they had to hike through also dangerous conditions <laughs> just with the wild animals that are there. Right. I mean, this is... There's wild animals that can kill you. It's not really like Stockholm or Lund where you <laughs> know you're not going to meet a leopard yeah. <laughs> when you go to, yeah. when you take a walk. A moose at worst. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. another crazy story by 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 the journalist how he how he said you know Rick they he had an African helper there obviously a guy from the mm-hmm. area that could help translate and stuff and usually they have to hike what three four hours between each farm because the farms are just mm-hmm. dispersed between exactly. these rainforest plots and. And the the journalist asked Rick, you know, what happened to because Rick mentioned that he had another guy before, and the journalist asked Rick what what happened to him, and uh, <laughs> yeah, basically he he got attacked by a leopard last time he was hiking, and he yeah. had to fight the leopard with a with a machete to get free. Yeah. I mean, that's literally what's happening to produce yeah. these tobacco leaves. Yeah, so it's in this extremely raw, you know, environment, and all that, and and Rick he Rick he wasn't. 
uh, as described, he wasn't a man who really got into the politics of it all. He was there mm. to grow good tobacco and just to really help out the the locals there and um, and did so in an extremely nice fashion uh, because even though he said he didn't want to get involved in the politics, he really did benefit the region of East Cameroon uh, and the Western CAR, you know, in the way he handled his business there. Yeah. Because he didn't, he didn't like walk in there as a, this new colonialist mm. who wanted to take the land. He actually um, created the private company, which was owned 60% uh, by, by the Mirafell family and 40% by yeah. the, the native people of, you know, the, the people that were working for the company. Mm. And this was, this made the native people shareholders in the company that they were part of, which was completely unknown of before yeah. and new to the region. I mean, can you imagine France had had their grip on, uh, on these countries for a long time and, you know, on the economy prior and, um, and just had used their different methods to kind of, you know, move the money around to themselves and to right. the rich politicians that they had appointed as their uh, as their you know keep peacekeeping people but yeah. really what they were doing they were just making those people extremely rich and then putting money in their own pockets so this was a really fresh uh, change of pace yeah that was a really region. touching part of the the story when you hear like when when some of the locals are being interviewed about because the, earlier on, you you get the sense and you're, you're told that Rick is sort of seen as a god in the area. And when I mm-hmm. read about this, I was like a little bit iffy when I heard that. I was like, hmm, like, is this because he's like this rich white man? But then you, you sort of mm-hmm. start to understand why. And it's because what you just said, like they ha- these people have since, I mean, white Europeans colonialized Africa have just seen various levels of a master and servant style relationship. I mean, exactly. it was literally yeah. slavery back in the day. But even mm-hmm. throughout the 1900s when they were a colony, like you said, I mean, sure, they might have had wages technically, but they don't have mm-hmm. any. I mean, they're just working for the owners. I mean, it's basically yeah. like serfs in old European feudalism. Like these are just they don't own anything, really. And so the fact that he comes in and says, you know, let's let's start owning this this property and this cultivation is company together that mm-hmm. just just the fact that he offered to do this is like that that made them like that touched them to the core you know like they they couldn't believe it they th- that's never happened and that's that's something they say literally it's never happened in the region before and since no exactly and it is just so amazing and something i wanted to just pause and reflect on like you just did that how much one single person can do like for a country that has been yeah. so or a region that has been so neglected and just used and exploited. I mean, it, it, it is actually crazy to think the the power of a one person in that situation that can accomplish this. Yeah, I mean, one man created, I, I, I read 5,000 jobs and 100,000 yeah. people were fed, are fed in the region yeah. because yeah. of yeah. Rick exactly. Merfeld. I mean, it's crazy. And this was also at, at that time, you know, in the early beginnings in the early 2000s now i'm not really sure what that number is but it might be higher mm. yeah yeah but it is um yeah certainly uh, certainly worth reflecting over and mm. just taking an extra second to think about that um but you know there were definitely all these obstacles of um 
politicians wanting to get in on it because they were seeing that it was going well. Right. And he also did his part there withstanding, you know, cutting them in on a piece of the cake, uh, just saying, um, you know, uh, you're not getting a job through my company. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you can apply if you want to. Uh, you'll have to go through the normal interviewing process, right. which is kind of funny to think of, you know, an earlier really corrupt politician uh, who was just used to getting whatever they asked for, yeah. uh, getting that no. Uh, but yeah, there were certainly a lot of, of obstacles to overcome. And um, so I guess you can ask yourself, really, why bother with all this? And uh, obviously, the quality now has reached the impeccable standard uh, that we hear about today, you know, with the rich oily dark leaves um after the french had tarnished the reputation but also an important factor for him was helping the the african people in that region Mm. and uh, being able to you know get this great tobacco that because he really lived for tobacco i mean this was his life and all that he knew uh so just the joy of for him to be able to to extract this amazing tobacco from this incredibly difficult region. Amazing. Meanwhile, helping uh, the people of that region. And um, yeah, I, that, that was the driving factor um, for him. And um, other than that, the region itself is, I mean, it's located on the equator. It's mm. kind of, um, there's kind of a natural tapado or as you say, like cheesecloth right. uh, yeah. looming over it. Um, which we will see similarities to in Ecuador, yeah. I assume we're yeah, going yeah. to. <laughs> um, but um, the tobacco yeah, itself guess... is incredible. Like, if you exactly, I hope you guys have smoked some Cameron wrapper cigars. If you haven't, I mean, I just urge you to to smoke a Don Carlos. I think that's the the best. That's the best Cameron wrap mm-hmm. cigar I've had. It's the best sort of. Uh, it's the best presentation and experience of a Cameron wrapper you can have. But it's 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 extremely unique because the Cameroon tobacco has an almost gray silver hue it's absolutely astonishing how how Mm -hmm. different it is from any other tobacco and it's the most toothy tobacco you can ever see i mean it looks like it has goosebumps literally it's it's so prickly with like tooth and oils but it's like it's very delicate um and i know they want to play it down and say it's less delicate now than before i'm sure before it was like paper thin but it's very, mm-hmm. very delicate. Like it, it, you can tell, it's just like rice paper thin. The the, the tobacco, yeah. but it is just bursting with flavor. My God, it's it's good. Yeah, no, exactly everything you said. Like also the the sweetness to it, and and mm. what I also um, um, what I was like, they don't use it to make very big ring gauge cigars because the leaves are in general not that big. Yeah. And like you said, delicate, so extremely difficult to roll, mm-hmm. um, which is why I guess you see them on very, very, like well-crafted cigars yeah. as well. Right. Yeah, uh, there are a bunch and, of cigars um, though. I mean, you guys can. Yeah, yeah, there are absolutely. Maybe you wrote down a list, but I don't know if you um, if you had a list. I don't have a list, but Oliva Serie G <laughs> no, but... is Cameroon. Uh, Rocky Patel Vintage 2003 is Cameroon. Those are common. Cameroon, yeah, exactly. And like you said, the 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 Fuente Don Carlos and uh, Hemingway series are, are Cameroon. Hemingway. There's yeah. a lot. There's a they're they're easy to get there's a hands a lot. on. But there's a lot that yeah. aren't actual Cameroon. We should we shouldn't mention this. exactly. And um, yeah, because as we mentioned earlier, when talking to Jeremiah, there's often. I mean, he, he's he's this personality. And one thing that he often comes back to saying is, if it's not Maratfel, it's not Cameroon. True. Um, 
which they recently kind of like trademarked and put on a holographic sticker as a kind of seal of uh, authenticity, uh, which they put on a few Arturo Fuente boxes mm. that include the Cameroon wrapper. Uh, um, because, I mean, fakes, um, or now I should say fakes. Um, impersonators. Impersonators, sorry, is the right word. Um, that use Cameroon as, you know, a selling point uh, that actually grow the seeds somewhere else is, of course, very frustrating for, you know, the Mirafel family who are putting on, putting in all this work mm. and going through this difficult process to get this beautiful tobacco that they are proud of. Yeah. Uh, then I also agree that you shouldn't really be able to call uh, a cigar Cameroon if it's not grown in Cameroon. I mean, if it just uses the Cameroon seed. Yeah. Uh, because you have a bunch of different seeds that can be grown in different places. Yeah. But but does a does an Abano seed make uh, make a cigar Cuban? Of course not. Yeah, I mean, it's that is it's just... a it's a weird thing because it's very it's I guess it's because Cuba applies pressure to this, but it's very strict. Like you would yeah. never see. I mean, some of these cigars are called whatever brand name, and then Cameroon, which just yeah. makes Aladino it, Cameroon. Yeah, it so. makes it impossible to yeah. tell the difference. You would never see a cigar in in the U.S. called something and then Cuba. Cuba. Like no. it would have to say it, it always says specifically Cuban seed or it says Habano seed or Habano wrapper. But even mm -hmm. then, it's like a little bit distinguished. I think it's a little strange how freely they're able to use an, the Cameroon name without distinguishing that it's, you know, not Cameroon wrapper. It's Cameroon seed. And even then, that doesn't make much sense because Cameroon seed is a Sumatra seed. So I, I don't even know how, yeah. how <laughs> logical they are. No, there. exactly. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, a lot of over time a lot of like the cameroon seed has become its own thing now that it has been in the region yeah, yeah, so yeah, long and they they all evolve and stuff i guess um but um but yeah like aladino cameroon uh they use they use a cuban or sorry cameroon <laughs> seed but grown in, in honduras yeah um but then the cigar is just called you know cameroon not even honduran cameroon mm. just cameroon yeah because I mean, they've done such a good job in making the the wrapper so, uh, yeah, so attractable. Right. That's that's uh, that's what I was gonna yeah. say. You, you nailed it, lot. That would never yeah. have been the case like 50 years ago. Nowadays, they, they've managed to give Cameroon such a big reputation that people are actually wanting to impersonate it and use its name to pretend that their own cigar is a Cameroon cigar. That's that's a testament to the Maripville family. Uh, but I think I, I wouldn't, in general, care this much about. A seed, I mean, I, I don't think anyone has the right to claim a strain or type of tobacco. But in this case, it's so extremely connected deeply with one family having such a hard struggle. I mean, it's not like they are, like we discussed, the French monopoly where they've just claimed something by themselves and are doing it half-assedly. I mean, the, the Meripville family is truly, truly fighting to make this possible. And the fact that they've they've done so and others are trying to sort of piggyback off that success and fame it's a little bit sad so that's that's sort of why i get a little more defensive over this compared to something else yeah i fully agree and um i mean since especially since they're the they've been the only ones doing the investing yeah. and everything in that area so it's yeah, so closely definitely. connected to their family they it's almost like you feel like they should have the right to trademark it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, just some 
like final notes on that with mm-hmm. with the investment that they've done in the area is that a lot of what is still like how the tobacco is cultivated there is is done very um i guess you can say old-fashioned because they haven't it's very rudimentary they have so yeah. Yeah. exactly because they've uh they have no possibilities you know to um uh, for for irrigation systems mm. or to bring tractors or anything this is i mean hilly this is rainforest this is you can't get any equipment there really uh so they're very heavily dependent on on weather climate and all that and um i mean usually it's pretty stable with the amount of sun they get and all that mm-hmm. they can calculate for that um but a problem that that has been difficult for them is the effect that global warming is having yeah on the planet and i mean specifically in this case for central africa because the differing weather with sometimes a, some seasons a lack of rain um that creates this uncertainty to how much tobacco they can even produce um so so some years they've had excellent harvests but some years they've had um you know real issues with mm. this and um yeah i guess that's mostly due to the to the can't control the amount of water they're getting it's crazy and um yeah yeah i remember reading a a story also on the fact that like you say they have very rudimentary tools and stuff i mean they were trying to construct a new warehouse and they had it took literal weeks uh i mean maybe in the end months because uh when this was written it wasn't done yet but to get a bulldozer there, they had to obviously drive it through these yeah. these uh, these brick or these uh, dirt roads, and it would roads, yeah. it would take it would go one mile an hour this bulldozer, and it would break down several <laughs> times, obviously. Uh, and for it to be fixed, they had to ship parts from Europe to where it was mm-hmm. to fix. I mean, it took them literal weeks to get the bulldozer over. I mean, it's it's just it's insane how how basic the tools they are that they have to work with and how long everything takes, but. It's it's a it's a yeah. struggle. Yeah, I hope everyone's really gained a a picture mm. in their head of like what this process has been like for them, and um and really what the amount of work they put into this for us to be able to have Cameroon wrapper yeah. on our cigars. So next time you smoke a yeah. a cigar yeah. with the Cameroon wrapper on it, think about how much how the process has been for it to come into your hands yeah you should really reflect and we we say this a lot uh, like respecting the history and work behind it and it can sound like buzzwords but like th- that's why i wanted to do this podcast now and give you a background on cameroon yeah. especially this ecuador ecuador portion will be a little shorter and a uh, little less detailed but the cameroon section mm-hmm. especially is look it's not it's not just uh oh let's respect the art form of it like like uh abstract sort of thing i mean this is literal work and struggle and changing actual human beings lives and a course of history like the fact that this much work has gone behind just making the wrappers that we're burning up with our mouths is insane exactly so like ruben said that's a perfect way to end it off when you're smoking an arturo fuente don carlos next time or i mean if it's rocky patel whatever cameroon just Mm -hmm. think about the insane journey that tobacco has been on to to reach your humidor it's it's worth yeah reflecting on and it heightens the experience i'll tell you that definitely yeah all right lad we're traveling somewhere else now though right <laughs> more traditional <laughs> more traditional i wanted to end it with ecuador because it's a little it's a little more interesting just to reflect on 
the more because this is a much more modern story even though Cameroon with Meripfil started in 1993 this is a little more a little more of a reflection on our modern uh, society so obviously this mm-hmm. this is a little more connection to how I started off this this segment talking about how people talk about scars being Dominican or Nicaraguan but in so many occasions your cigar has a an Ecuadorian wrapper, and I don't think people here listening or in any cigar lounge or anywhere in the world realize how much Ecuadorian tobacco is being consumed in the world, because it is one of the most grown cigar wrappers in the world, bar none. You guys mm-hmm. think of D- Davidoff and their white label series being Dominican, and sure, it's rolled in the Dominican Republic, and a lot of the filler is Dominican, but every single white label Davidoff has an Ecuadorian wrapper. That's a big yeah. portion of the world's cigars, so yeah. that's 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 a lot that's a lot so i wanted to i wanted to really shine some light on ecuador because it is an unsung hero in the world of cigars so to get a little basic understanding uh, about what ecuador is it's it's a little bit further away than people realize from the rest of the caribbean so it is a bit different in that sense i mean ecuador is one of the few south american continental countries that produces cigar tobacco obviously you have brazil to a lesser extent colombia to a much lesser extent and peru in a to a very very small extent but ecuador is the only really continental cigar producer that dominates uh, cigar cultivation otherwise yeah. you have the caribbean islands obviously and then the central american countries but ecuador sort of stands by itself and this is another ecuadorian uh, country that's on the e- Equator, obviously that's why it's called that. It's very much on the equator. Uh, it's actually on mm-hmm. the west coast of South America, so also a little bit uh, away from the rest of the of the countries in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a a beautiful, diverse co- country. It's not that popular for tourism, but they have some nice uh, nice beachy areas. But that's really not where we're heading when we're producing tobacco, and that's kind of a trend in general. You know, the tobacco cultivation mm-hmm. is not done where tourists go in in many ways. It's it's inlands, it's in valleys where where there's a lot of fertile soils and not beaches, <laughs> really. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so in the center, and Ruben has been to similar uh, similar sort of uh, landscapes, I'd say, uh, because where Ecuadorian tobacco is produced is in the center of the country, and it's extremely volcanic. Uh, uh, volcanic, volcanic is the word. Yeah, it's extremely yeah, volcanic. <laughs> there's uh, there's uh, 32 active volcanoes in Ecuador actually, and this is the whole reason. Yeah, damn, that is crazy. Yeah, right. The 32 active ones, and I, probably more dormant ones, but that's the whole reason as to why Ecuador actually exists as a cigar producing nation, because they have enormously volcanic, mineral rich soil. So it's dark. It's like cocoa powder. It's heavy mm-hmm. and it's made and fertilized by literal volcanic ash. Uh, oftentimes the volcanoes do erupt and volcanic ash is obviously spread around all of Ecuador and that ash kind of simmers down into the soil and further fertilizes it. So they don't need to use that much fertilizer there. Uh, that was another thing that was active in Cameroon, I remember reading as well, right? Yeah, Uh Exactly. It was actually kind of surprising for me to to realize that uh, volcano ashes are extremely fertile. But then when you think about it, they have all these minerals, yeah. you know, in them. So, because you know, when you think of volcano, you think of fire and just pretty much dead destruction, dead yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So for it to be extremely fertile, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, both of these, because I remember reading that about Cameroon, that they, they barely you need to use fertilizer because the soil is so rich in, in nutrients. And exactly. it's sort of similar in yeah. Ecuador. Uh, so obviously it's perfect for growing cigars. And that's one of the reasons it's, it's so active nowadays. Another extremely unique aspect of Ecuador, which is very different from the volcanic aspect, is the fact that the country is, the inland country is apparently covered in clouds all year round. And this is one of the first things I remember mm -hmm. reading about Ecuador, which was why it's so unique. Ruben mentioned this a little bit, hinted at it before, but the tapados or the cheesecloths, as you guys might know, everyone that smoked a Connecticut Shade cigar, it's a very light and also thin, mild tobacco, and that comes from the fact that it's covered from shade. If you just want a basic rundown, very flavorful, heavy tobacco, like Nicaraguan tobacco is often sun-grown, more nutrients, yeah. rich, thick, heavy flavors. If you filter the sun away, you get a light, mild tobacco, and that's a Connecticut shade. Uh, and in Ecuador, it's it's so unique because of the enormous cloud covering. You only get 500 hours of sunlight a year in some of these aspects. And this is a, mm -hmm. a, a country in the equator, so it's not like in Sweden where it's just pitch black half of the year. <laughs> I mean, the sun just doesn't penetrate the clouds because it's such a heavy layer of clouding. And it's it's kind of outstanding and Incredible. I mean, it, it, I had no idea that places like this existed. That I mean, you hear that mm -hmm. Seattle and London are very rainy, but <laughs> this is just a, a cloudy yeah. place all the time. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, 500 sun hours in a year, that is not a lot it's nothing. <laughs> for, for, for a country on the equator like that. And, um, and yeah, just to mention that a lot, it is not standard at all for, you know, wrapper tobacco to be yeah. sun-grown. Because it's supposed to be, you know, delicate and all that. Right. Uh, but um, but both in Cameroon and in Ecuador, uh, you have this natural cheesecloth, yeah. which makes it, you know, that you don't um, don't need to cover them with an actual one. Mm -hmm. uh, so kind of cool that you can sun grow them and uh, and that they still become, you know, that delicate. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good uh, good point, and that's another thing that I read about both these countries that were similar both proprietors of tobacco in both these countries talked about the the positive aspects of how natural the tobacco is because you don't need to fertilize the soil as much you don't need to cover the tobacco with cheesecloths this is mm -hmm. really just very natural tobacco and they believe that this adds to a lot of the reasoning why this is so good uh, so so they can effectively grow Connecticut shade tobacco in Ecuador without any cheesecloths just out in the open and that makes it a lot easier, less work. I mean, obviously, that has a lot of benefits. So you can see why Ecuador is a little bit more of a um, a good place to start growing cigars. Um, another thing is they have very different times of the year. You have a wet period and a dry period, much like the rest of uh, the tobacco-growing nations. But in some of these countries, like the Dominican Republic, you have a dry season and a rainy season, and it's the wet season that's that's better to grow tobacco apparently and then the dry season's a little mm -hmm. yeah a little too dry i guess uh but in 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 ecuador uh when it rains in these valleys the fields become literal lakes so it's underwater up to your head so you have to vacate entirely which is kind of a unique aspect as well um, and that's another way it becomes so naturally rich because the the rains wash down even more nutrients and then when the 
the water finally evaporates, what's left is sediment and even more rich nutrients. So the the earth in Ecuador is really the driving, unique sort of aspect there. And it's it's so cool to see. Yeah, I found that really fascinating to read as well. Just that the combination of, you know, the volcanic ash, the 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 farms being flooded underwater yeah. and this not being a bad thing, this actually being something that yeah. leaves nutrients behind. It's just like it's made completely to grow tobacco. Mm. And um yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's very, very unique, the the earth. I mean yeah, like there's so it's so weather beaten, but still it can produce this beautiful plant. Mm-hmm. So in Ecuador it's also a little bit different in the sense that we have a more, it's more similar to Cameroon than the Caribbean. In the Dominican Republic, you have countless cultivators. I mean, literally, you have thousands of tobacco mm-hmm. producers, same in Nicaragua, whatever. In Ecuador, there's really two families that produce tobacco. This is the Perez family, and their brand is called ASP Enterprises. And this is something that I found so fascinating because this is one of the, they call themselves the bigger, biggest tobacco producing cigar producer in the world which is surprising mm-hmm. because who's heard of ASP Enterprises? No one, right? Yeah. But they grow all of the Connecticut tobacco in Ecuador. And by by uh, by relation to that, they grow almost all of the Connecticut tobacco in the world because the, all, the only other Connecticut tobacco that's actually grown is a lesser amount in the United States, in the Connecticut Valley. It's still being cultivated there. Right. But because of various factors that I get into later, it's much more difficult. And then there's a little yeah. tiny amount in Honduras, but it's negligible. So ASP Enterprises and the Paris family produces pretty much all the Connecticut shade tobacco in the world. So, I mean, I guess I could say a list, but there's a countless, any any Connecticut cigar you, you can think of, it's with, I mean, all the Davidoffs, like I said, all the Camachos. I mean, mm-hmm. Fuente uses their tobacco. Padrones Damaso is uh, e- even there. Connecticut has an Ecuadorian. Almost all of mm-hmm. the cigars with it. every single mild cigar. If you Google a list of best beginner cigars, it's almost all Paris family ASP Enterprise tobacco. Ah, oh, damn. damn! It's damn. crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, from big to small. I the cigar I had today that I was hinting at it was a Matilda, which is by a small brand mm-hmm. by Jose Sejillas. That was a Connecticut shade cigar with Ecuadorian tobacco from a really small company. I mean, they're all buying the tobacco from the Paris family. The Paris family obviously has Cuban roots. We're not going to get into the family history too much. Maybe that's for another time. Mm -hmm. But they've been growing tobacco in Cuba in the 1800s, passed down generation to generation. Uh, Now it's David Perez, who is the head of the company and who grows all the tobacco there in, in Ecuador. And then you have a more familiar name, and it's the Oliva family. So John Oliva Sr. Yes. is head of that family. And they grow all the other Ecuadorian tobacco. So those of you guys that are a little more nerdy might have might have realized that we're talking a lot about Connecticut shade. But you might have thought, you know, oh, but I've smoked a lot of cigars with Sumatra wrappers or Habano wrappers. Mm-hmm. And that's the Oliva family. So they grow all the other tobacco pretty much. Uh, so if you, if you think of... Cigars like the Ashton VSG, for example, that's a Sumatra-wrapped cigar by the mm-hmm. uh, Oliva family. Their own Oliva, Serie V Milanio, has an Ecuadorian Sumatra yeah. wrapper as well. Those are two of the most praised cigars of all time, the Ashton VSG and and uh, and the ESG mm-hmm. as well. So two Ashton cigars for the Fuente family. Um, but yeah, that's the Fuente family are very inter, intertwined here, I just realized. They're the big consumers of Cam- <laughs> Cameroon, but also very heavily in Ecuador. It's pretty yeah. cool. These two families produce 
different tobacco, but that also means that they're producing tobacco in different areas. So as, as, we, as right. we mentioned, there's a natural clouding in Ecuador, but obviously if the entire country was clouded, you wouldn't be able to grow Sumatra tobacco and you wouldn't be able to grow Corojo mm-hmm. uh, tobacco that they also do. So in the southern part, in an area called Gayas, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Maybe Ruben has. Uh, Guayaquil is a is a pretty big uh, Ecuadorian uh, city in mm-hmm. southern Ecuador. That province uh, is where the Oliva family primarily grows their tobacco. It's less cloud coverage. It's still pretty cloud coverage. So you can grow the Ashton Virgin Sun Grown, which is what VSG stands for, in the sun right, with that right. Sumatra wrapper. But it doesn't become too heavy. It's still wrapper because there's there's more clouding. But then north in the Los Rios province, that's where ASP and David Perez grow their Connecticut wrappers. Oliva have been growing there since 1980, and ASP have been growing in Ecuador since 1971. So a little later in the game, we divulged a little bit of the story of the rush to the other countries in our Fuente podcast, as you remember, lad, I mean, a lot of these com- mm-hmm. these companies, they went to other countries completely. They went to Jamaica and Panama and stuff back, like, right after the embargo. Yeah. Ecuador, I guess, was noticed a little bit later. Um, but that's so, but they've still been growing there pretty long. I mean, right. compared to the Maripil family, it's, it's, it's a lot longer. One fun fact is, though, that Ecuador used to grow Connecticut shade, obviously, but a lot of the Candela stuff, that's why these countries moved. Um, and you might remember right. we talked about this lad like the the American market shade as it's, as it's called that's Candela I mean the standard in the 1970s exactly. was Candela wrapper that's what was smoked yeah so crazy to think about today like that that was actually the most <laughs> yeah. prominent shade and that's what uh, that's what ASP started making as a real cash crop I mean they sold countless amounts of of uh, bales of, of candela wrapper and oliva as well so that's really where they started and i guess as a byproduct of that which is a fortunate event they started finding out uh, other strains of tobacco that could uh, that could be grown so we talked about how how the this is all rapper tobacco really right and i'm thinking what to name this episode it might have to be like talking mm-hmm. rappers or something uh rapping <laughs> uh rapping <laughs> because the cloud cover and because of the mineral rich soil and all this stuff and a byproduct is the is that only wrapper tobacco can be grown there so this is one of the few countries apart from cameroon because cameroon is is a different as well but Mm -hmm. there is no filler being made in uh, ecuador whatsoever and it's kind of crazy because they supply so much of the world's tobacco production but they make no filler whatsoever i mean compared to cuba nicaragua and dominican those three countries make everything. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what almost all other stuff is made from. So that's very, very, very different. So to give you guys a little more of an insight on the people behind, because I, I mentioned quickly that there were two families, and I, I mentioned the names of them. So first we have Oliva, and obviously you guys have smoked Oliva cigars, most likely. It's a, it's a very famous brand. The head of that uh, company is actually John Oliva Sr., uh, and a fun fact about him is he used to play uh, both defense and offense for uh, for. F- the University of Florida, the football team. So, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know what positions yeah. he played, but you, if you Google a picture, I mean, he's, he's built like it. Yeah, right. You, <laughs> you've seen it. <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty, yeah, definitely, pretty unique, uh, unique thing. Uh, but his fa- his father was a, a legend in the business before Angel Oliva, and obviously they've 
been a long line of of cigar producers uh, before him, but he wanted to be a football player, an American football player. So that's pretty yeah. uh, pretty cool. I mean, it's 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 very different background. Some of these, I mean, we we talked to Pete Johnson, and he has a very different background as well, being a musician. Some of these yeah, guys exactly within music, yeah. Some of these guys just have a different background completely. Exactly, with all this passion, uh, passion for cigars still. So. so a former prospective football player takes over the uh, the Oliva family, obviously. <laughs> uh, so a very very different uh, background there. But now now it's his son John Oliva Jr. is working on it now. So that's another beautiful fact. I mean, we've talked about Fuente, we've talked about the Merafels. This is all just family businesses, and maybe that's a reason why it's going so well for them. Um, a fun quote by him, though, on Ecuador uh, is the fact uh, that he said the, uh, a good rule of thumb is when the country is fun to go to, the climate's perfect and the political situation is great. <laughs> the tobacco isn't worth a shit there. <laughs> so it's a pretty, pretty telling, uh, telling story of the, the resilience of these people. As we can tell from uh, as we can tell from both Ecuador and Cameroon rapper, that seems to be very exactly true. <laughs> right. It's it's a it's a string. I mean, you really need to fight for it. I guess it's blood, sweat, and tears. That's what makes tobacco good. As cliche as it sounds. Yeah. Uh, then the next guy you have is is David Perez, obviously, um, of ASP Enterprises, and this is worth. I mean, I I hope you guys remember ASP because this is I mean, it's it's insane how almost I mean no not almost every single cigar smoker has smoked several ASPs tobacco cigars uh but he also mm-hmm. i mean his father uh alfredo who was a cuban uh, cultivator before he didn't want david Perez to become a farmer so another situation here where they don't want them to go mm-hmm. into the tobacco business he wanted him to become a lawyer um but oh, wow. tobacco runs through these guys' blood i mean he made a deal with his dad he was like no way i want to do this so I'll put the money for school aside when I start the business. And if the business goes bad, then I'll take that money, put it into school, and I'll go try to be a lawyer. But they started ASP Enterprises. Uh, They actually grow tobacco in Mexico and Nicaragua too, I should say, but mainly in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he did it, and he did it with his dad. Uh, His dad actually died in 2000, and he was only 54, Alfredo. So it's very similar to Cameroon, actually, Mm -hmm. in Marifel's where uh, it's a father and son relationship. Yeah, because I didn't mention that, because Rick also passed at, like, around 54, right? In 2004, or yeah, 2004 right. So very, passed. very similar. Yeah, as well, so similar yeah. fates there as well. Um, and now, yeah, very similar. He was 31 when his father passed, so they're very, very, very similar. Um, so they, obviously, they grow all the uh, the, the Connecticut tobacco there, but I, I, I do want to mention quickly their, their farm called Casjuca, uh, which is an acronym for a long Spanish name that I won't say now, but <laughs> they they have like a la- laboratory there where they, it's like a crazy lab where they mix hybrids on all types of ways. And they like pollinate different tobacco plants oh, wow. with the use of women that like take bees and stuff. And they're like crossbreeding. It's an insane. It's like a cigar nerd's dream <laughs> in there because uh, they, they've grown some tobacco yeah. plants that are apparently, the, the, the leaves are so thick yeah, and heavy cool. that they can't even like, they, they're, they're like, like scraping the floor like they can't grow up at all like it's just all these crazy crazy plants apparently and it looks like uh yeah it looks a little like apparently a little scary because some of the plants are weird but (laughs) it's 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 just this crazy laboratory that asp do there um some of it hasn't worked but some of it has made uh, has made some cigars apparently i think to note though i mean i think a big reason as to why asp is so successful but also under the radar is that they don't officially disclose much of their information like they don't say 
who their clients are officially. We do know, though, by various resources that pretty much all the tobacco that's Connecticut Shade is their clients, but they don't officially disclose this stuff. They're mm-hmm. they're just very yeah very secretive about a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, just a, just a cool company. It seems I would love to go to Ecuador and see what they're what they got going on there. Yeah, uh, and then a, yeah, because little... you, you wouldn't go to Ecuador for the for the beaches at least. So yeah, exactly. To, that was a funny thing. Something. That's a funny thing they said in in the cigar aficionado ad. Whereas mo- most tourists go to Ecuador and bring sunblock and get ready to go to the beach, but when when people go for cigar related yeah, things, exactly. no sunblock needed because of the clouds, and they're going straight <laughs> to the countryside. Um, so that's yeah. pretty pretty cool there. Um, Oliva, I did want to say, because we've talked a lot about Connecticut Shade, but the reason Oliva is so popular in Ecuador and why they've done so well recently is their Habano seed. Um, yeah. And a list of, I'll tell you some cigars, the, the Romeo by Romeo Julieta, we don't smoke that here, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's a very popular cigar in the States. The Rocky Patel 15th anniversary uses an Ecuadorian Habano by Oliva. Arturo Fuentes Rosado yep. Sangrón Magnum R uses that, so another Fuente. I have that cigar in my humidor right. uh, that I want. I'm excited nice. to smoke after reading this. And Herrera Esteli. Yeah. I think you've smoked that cigar, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I remember I was like looking up this, uh, like what cigars had the Ecuador mm. Habano because I was reading about Oliva, and then I saw the Herrera Esteli Habano. Uh, terrific smoke yeah that well. uses a lower priming apparently yeah. which didn't surprise me i was glad they specified that because that's a kind of lighter cigar they talk about how rich and dark yeah, the habana true. wrapper is but yeah exactly. that's interesting that's a lot of cigars maybe you guys have smoked uh, smoked some of the some of those uh, and the ecuadorian habana was actually first planted in 2001 by oliva so that's very very recent mm-hmm. um and a little story of that i mean they tried to plant Ecuadorian Habano before and a lot of other companies, but it was tr- it was deemed to be crap, basically. Uh, but the problem was that people didn't ferment it and age it long enough. So Oliva coming in with a very right. much that Fuente mindset of not rushing the hands of time and allowing the tobacco to really develop, they were the first to really give it a chance to really let it sit and develop into this rich... And if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have the Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, which is a very important tobacco yeah uh, another cool thing I, and i'll just add some fun facts now at the end before we wrap this up about the production in in ecuador ecuador is a very agricultural country a lot of the world's bananas come from there a, a lot of other uh fruits and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff of that nature but they have local palm oil apparently and oliva add this palm oil to their fertilizer the little fertilizer they use yeah, you might have read that oh, a lot yeah. and i th- thought that was very cool and that makes it the Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's proven. Uh, it, they were hinting at the fact that a lot of the stuff that they do might be a little superstitious, but apparently it's supposed to make the tobacco a little more oily, which was pretty pretty cool thing. I don't know. I've never heard adding oil before to, to the, to the yeah. leaf. Um, some other final cool facts. This is the, Ecuador is pretty unique. The, the government actually mandates that all agricultural work, you need to have at least 4% of your workforce to be made up of people with infirmities or mental yes, illnesses. Right. So... Oliva obviously mm-hmm. abides by this and they do it happily. So they have a bunch of people that have uh, autism, autism and stuff like this. Yeah. And that's, the, it's just another cool, cool thing. I mean, they're just helping out a lot of people, obviously. Then they're working and obviously doing a great job. Uh, yeah. Another quote by John Oliva, because this guy is just full of them. And another fun fact, and I was speculating as to what this might be, but 
there are people that buy his Habana wrapper but won't admit that they're using a wrapper from Ecuador. So they'll buy Habana wrapper. They'll say right. it's Nicaraguan Habano uh, because he, I, he basically ponders that it might be because Nicaragua sounds better. People are more used to it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, he doesn't bother bother him much anymore. He just doesn't care. Um, and he doesn't claim it to be anything that it's not. So pretty crazy. I wonder, I wonder who that might be. Yeah, that feels strange. I mean, especially now when like Ecuador rapper is used so widely as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But it just has that stigma. Maybe I know for certain people might not have like bought into the <laughs> bought yeah. into it yet. Yeah, I, I yeah. will say that uh, this is an older article, so it might 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 have been yeah. back then. But still, it's a pretty interesting mm-hmm. thing. It shows a little bit yeah. of the shady it was stuff. Still like that goes 2014, apart. I think. Right. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of shady stuff in the cigar industry. Last thing that mm-hmm. I found uh, while really digging into this, uh, I found an Ecuadorian newspaper actually in Spanish in from the San Juan region uh, mm-hmm. where ASP are active, and it showed a picture. It was a from a from 2019, I think, uh, of just a herd of people. It looked like people like lining up to go into a, like a football match or something, um, and it was apparently a picture of uh, right before the growing season where people were lining up to hopefully try to get a job working for asp and i was a little bit surprised i was like wow it can't anyone just get a farmer oh. job but the article wrote about and praising and there were a bunch of comments on the article from people that had worked there apparently the tobacco jobs working in those fields are some of the best farming jobs there are available and people like do anything to try to get their hands on oh, it because wow. they're the companies and this is why i wanted to end this off with because we see that in with the fuente family with their foundation cameroon obviously again with asp and oliva how they're helping out the community people's live standards are apparently changed the moment they get a job working these fields and they're just investing so much in the communities because they believe that's the right way to do it and it obviously works for everyone so that that was a really cool thing to see and i just i just wanted to end it with a thought because i I keep going back to this. Every time I read about these families and these producers, I feel like this, the cigar producers are always the good guys, right? Like there's never any scandalous. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a completely impartial newspaper. This had nothing to do with tobacco producing. So, and they're yeah. praising how yeah. well they work with the community. I'm just like always left wondering why people want to kill cigar producing so much. I mean, they're obviously doing so much for for the community. Exactly. And yeah for the communities and it's also done strictly out of passion for cigars and tobacco i mean you wouldn't find anyone today cultivating tobacco that you know or so involved with tobacco that just does it for the money because that doesn't exist i mean it's such a i mean as we heard from so many stories there's a lot of pain going into it as well i mean with with all the setbacks and everything uh but they really do it for themselves the community and for uh, like the local communities and of course the cigar community um, and I know you said you wanted to end with that, but I had to bring up Please this quote uh, from Rick uh, Merrifel from this uh, cigar aficionado, because this this was a really nice uh, quote by him. Just in a conversation he had with the interviewer, he said, "I wonder if some banker in New York smoking a cigar with Central African wrapper and with a glass of fine Scotch has any idea what it takes to get tobacco out of here. He probably doesn't care." But I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. I love it here doing this. And in the end, we both love cigars and we love what we do. It's beautiful. So that kind of sums it up as well, like the, how it's the the selflessness mm. in what they do. And the passion. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. thank you for that, lad. 
And uh, yeah. I guess at the end of the day, I just hope you guys learned something because we certainly learned a lot researching this. And uh, and really, I mm-hmm. hope I hope this does heighten your experience in the future. I hope the next time you light up a, a Fuente Don Carlos, like I said, any Cameroon wrap cigar or any any yeah. Ecuadorian Connecticut or any Oliva Serie V Milano that so many people love and smoke, think of the stories behind the, that we shared now and then think about the incredible work because it is it is it is truly touching and and, and so cool to learn about. Yeah. So as always, thanks for listening into this. We had so much fun. Hope you guys did as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers.